Welcome into the DuckTerritory.com podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel is across the way. How are we doing, folks? And we are shifting gears a little bit into Oregon basketball mode. Still going to talk football. We will always talk football at least every other week. Uh, but as football recruiting is winding down, uh, as the season now comes to a close, recording this on the 7th of Monday, which means the national championship game will be played later this afternoon. Uh, and so that, you know, that will wrap up the, the entire 2018 football season um, and leaves us with just basketball and recruiting to focus on. Uh, so we're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk as much basketball as it remains relevant. And we were just looking at the, the net rankings <laughs> for the conference, and it's, it's it's not good. It's so bad. Uh, I, I was I was really so shocked. I wanted to see where Oregon was. You were surprised at how high Oregon was, and I think that maybe impacted your Well, your I was team. like, oh, Oregon's 82nd, which seems much better than I expected, because last time I looked, they were 97th, and since then they've lost a game, and I figured they'd be worse. And then I was like, oh, but the Pac-12, how are they doing? Washington is the high, is the best-ranked team at 53, which is basically you're not getting in at 53. I don't you have understand. to win your conference. Yeah, so this is a one-bid league, which... Is uh, bizarre yeah. having covered this conference for a while. Um, you look back a couple of years ago when Oregon and UCLA and Arizona were all really, really one or two, seeds, three seeds, top seeds, and um, the conference had uh, a lot of national relevance, et cetera, et cetera. It's this is a really dark place for the conference in basketball, and well, I mean, it's kind of fits, fitting that this is the worst. <laughs> Oregon, Oregon has also been since probably the beginning of the decade, so. Um, yeah, man, the net rankings, though, boy, that is ugly, 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 ugly. Uh, and let's go right into Oregon. They're nine and five. They've played one conference game. They lost to Oregon State, seventy-seven to seventy-two at home. First home loss for the Ducks to the Beavers uh, since the two thousand and twelve season. So seven years have gone by since the Ducks have last lost. And I think it's kind of fitting that you know Oregon suffered probably one of their worst losses in the Dana Altman era to Texas Southern at home earlier this season. It's going to be, it's looking like it's going to be one of those years where, uh, a lot of first since blank have happened. Uh, Oregon State's that first one. And not in a good way. And not in a good way. Um, and let's, let's discuss the Bull Bull injury here. Uh, we reported first and then Bull confirmed himself shortly later that day, uh, that Bull Bull season is over and he has a stress fracture, uh, in his left foot and he hasn't confirmed that. But we've... I think that was confirmed, maybe not by him, but nationally. There yeah. There were reports of the details, right? Um, Altman, was, Altman never said stress fracture, but he also confirmed he's done. He's not even in Eugene anymore. He's back home in Kansas uh, with his family getting ready for the 2019 NBA draft. Um, and Oregon's left picking up the pieces. Um, there's a lot of opinions about this whole thing, ranging from... He's not a team player because he's he's left the program, ranging to Dan Altman is really needing to readjust and reevaluate and reconsider his recruiting tactics because the one and dones are not working. Uh, and then there's also the opinion that this is just bad luck for for Bull and, and bad luck for Oregon. That's kind of where I fall, and that I don't think you can fault Bull for. Shutting things down, and I don't think you can fault Oregon for going after Bull Bull. No, and and going the one and done route. Yeah, no, I think 
if if you fall into the camp that Bull is selfish for not playing this season, then you're not seeing the bigger picture because, like it or not, the way things are, the landscape of basketball right now, these kids that are admittedly one and done, and this was, we knew that was the case. Altman said as much, I think, after he signed uh, last November. Uh, Bull, Bull is going to be a one-year guy. And, and, and Altman never does that. And Altman had never done that before. I mean, he kind of acknowledged that, yeah, this is a rare circumstance where I, we already know going in with Troy Brown. I don't think that was... They were not expecting him to be gone. Yeah, that was not something that had been discussed prior. So the, the expectation going in was that Bull was going to be a one-and-done. You watched the first nine games and you saw why. But... For Bull, the the ultimate goal here is to make millions and millions of dollars playing basketball in the NBA. And the when you have foot issues next to a seven foot two player, and those are lingering issues, uh, that doesn't sit well in NBA circles, I'm sure. And I, I think this was, and one of the things we should mention, Altman was asked on on Friday about kind of his timeline of stuff was that the Bull family did not want. They wanted to control the narrative. They did not want him coming out and saying, oh, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. They wanted to be the one, once they felt confident enough in the news, confident enough in the doctor's decisions to come out and say something, is, is when they went out and, and said it, which just happened, you know, which was, I believe, last Thursday. Um, you know, I, I don't fault Bull at all for shutting the season down. If he has a foot fracture and it's a question of, hey, can I play in four games at the end of a Pac-12 season that ultimately doesn't mean a ton to him, and ultimately his biggest goal is to play in the NBA. I think it's a fairly easy decision. Ultimately, that stinks because I think if you're an Oregon fan and you were transitioning from football season to basketball season, you were going, hey, this is going to be super fun to watch Manute Bull's two son who's actually really, really good and probably the most indiv- best individual talent yeah. the program has ever had. So. Yeah, it's just a, I, I agree. I think it's bad luck. And, and again, really quickly, I, I don't fault Oregon or Altman or whoever for uh, recruiting, you know, players of Bulls caliber. Uh, Daniel was asked on Friday, and I'll read the quote that he gave, which is, it's not an easy question to answer, but we recruited Bull and we definitely weren't going to turn him down. And I wouldn't change my mind if another talented player wanted to come in. So, I don't expect this to be something that changes. Um, I think you, if you're Oregon, you'd love to have a player like Bull on your roster every year. I mean, frankly, there was probably more excitement leading up to this season than there had been in a little bit just because he was such a polarizing, exciting figure nationally. So um, it stinks. It's a rough situation. And now Oregon is kind of behind the eight ball because Kenny Wooten's also not playing right now. And I think... Not having Bull, not having Kenny Wooten, even not having Abu Kijab, who we should mention has transferred to Boise State or announced his intent to transfer there, um, got beaten up really bad on the glass by Oregon State. And, you know, this is a, was built, you know, built to be probably the top front court out west. And without your top two front court players, it's just kind of in shambles. Looking at Bull's decision and the impact it has, Wooten's injury, Abu Kijab's departure, I think. Oregon is in a situation right now where the league is at its worst in a long, long time. And Oregon is, they don't know who they are. No. They don't have a lot of options. And their team was, <clears throat> was constructed with the idea that they were, have, they'd have these twin tower-esque big men and Bull Bull and Kenny Wooten, yeah. they would play elite defense and then they would be able to, you know, grind out victories and, they don't have the two centerpieces of this team, and you can make a you can make a case that Wooten's not the second best player on the team going into the year, but he was probably the second most important guy on this team, maybe third. But uh, I think Pritchard's probably in that mix as well sure. because of his ball handling and his role as the you know 
lead guard of this team. But you're without two of your three best players, and you're playing a, a roster that was constructed to be built around those two guys. Oregon's in free fall right now. And figuring out how they play, figuring out who they go to, figuring out you know who they lean on is all up in the air again. And you could argue, well, they should have done this. It's it's game thir- 14. They should have figured this stuff out already. Well, you know, they, they haven't had one of the other key pieces, Lewis King, back until early December. That's when he started playing. He's a five-star guy. Uh, Bull Bull goes out middle of December. I think they played maybe a combined 20 minutes together, and those were two of your bigger pieces. I, I, the, the stat was Lou King played 31 minutes in games that Bull Bull also played, and I don't know how many of those were together, but certainly – the 2018 class, the best class Oregon has ever had, built around Luke King and Bull Bull. They, yeah, they probably spent one half of basketball together, which, again, that sucks because this was supposed to be this really exciting roster filled with NBA players, and you never really got to see it come together. Um, and I think we are starting to see King play at a higher level, we should mention. Um, you know, I think he clearly played his best game in the Civil War, 17 points, 10 rebounds. Um, had a couple baskets or, or I guess a couple free throws late to, to give Oregon the lead uh, in a game where they had no business they, having the lead. Was in a game that they didn't look like they were going to get a lead again because they were down 18 with about 15 to go and 15 with 10 to go. Um, but you're seeing Luke King emerge. Um, the issue that we saw though was Oregon comes all the way back to take a lead. I think they led with about a minute to play. Consecutive possessions where they have a chance to either regain the lead or tie it, they end up with kind of tough jumpers. First Pritchard and Altman said after the game that was not the design of the yeah. play. He didn't. He wasn't well, happy with the shot. It was to an extent. The idea was they wanted a three, but it was going to be that pick and pop where there's a trailer and uh, Oregon State read it perfectly and and had defended it, and so then he wanted something else after the. The original, you know, three-point right. attempt. I think he said they were, they're hoping to get the ball to King to try to set up a shot that yeah. way, and it didn't play out that way. And so Pritchard has to take a tough shot, misses it. Oregon State comes down, makes two free throws. They're up three. King comes down, takes a very challenging contested jump shot, hits yeah. the front Double rim. clutch almost. Yeah, not not an easy shot. If he would have made it, it would have been, honestly, really, really, been the best shot he's probably made at Oregon to this point. So that misses, and Oregon loses the game. So I don't think you want to, you know, Say it all comes down to two shots because it doesn't. Because if they would have played even slightly better for the first 30 minutes of this game, they probably would have been up by six or eight points. Yeah. Because the way they rallied late, you saw that they this is a team that is capable of competing with, you know, the most experienced team in the conference. And Oregon State doesn't have the talent Oregon has, but Oregon State is the most has the best continuity with the Thompson brothers with Trace Tinkle. Those are three guys that have played an awful lot of basketball together. Um, you throw in Big G. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but I know that's what <laughs> Oregon State fans call him, Rakocevic. He's another guy who's played a lot of minutes together. This is an, experience, an experienced basketball team. And, and Oregon, despite being down a bunch, I think it was, you, you saw a lot of heart um, for them to make a rally. But, again, the big issue for me is uh, does this team know who kind of is going to take these big shots? Right. It seemed clear that King and Pritchard were the guys with the ball in their hands at the end of the game, but... Neither guy was able to convert, and not to be too critical, because I did think King played his best game at Oregon, but he was 6 for 17 from the field. Peyton Pritchard was 5 for 16 from the field. He Oregon. was 5 for or five for 7 in the second half, though. Peyton was, right, because yes. he started off awful. And I think there's a direct correlation, not to get us off track from no, where no, we were going. No, no, but I was just going to say that neither were shot well together. But I, I, I think there is a direct correlation between... 
Pritchard's first half struggles and his second half success with with Lewis King. Because in the first half, Lewis King was, I think he had seven points. Um, it, but it wasn't really anything out. He scored four points in about 45 seconds early in the, drives. In, the, in the first half. And then didn't do anything for the rest of the half, basically. Um, and in the second half, he got he got going. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he got things going in that mid-range game, getting to the hoop, driving to the, the rim, and Pritchard's numbers also went up. Um, I think this season, if if both those guys are playing well, or if one of them's playing well, the other one will have a much easier chance of being able to have success uh, scoring the basketball and distributing. Uh, Peyton Pritchard also had, I think, one turnover to six assists in the second half compared uh, to, I think, five turnovers and no assists. He had, he had two turnovers and one assist. I have to pull this down. Okay. Uh, so it was much, much, much better than that second yeah, half. Yeah, his, his second half was much improved, and I don't think it's a uh, coincidence that King and Pitcher's success relies on each other. Um, yeah, 100%. How Oregon goes now, I think they learned in that Civil War game one way that they can be successful, and I wrote about this on – DuckTerritory.com before the game had started of, or the you know earlier in the week of you know how Oregon's going to adjust now with life without Bull Bull and one of the things was run 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 and push the tempo and push the pace of the game and get you know get the ball moving up and down with their presses and their traps and we saw that in the second half um, they really were able. I think they forced like 12 second half turnovers. Right on the uh, b- by Oregon State, and I, it was weird. I mean, I think there was like three or four of them where where OSU just couldn't get the ball in. There were, yeah, I mean, there was a stretch there, and again, Oregon erased. They, like, they, had, they had eight points in 29 seconds. I say, Oregon point. erased like a 15 point lead in like four minutes. I mean, it was just boom, 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 and the place was Matthew. We should mention Matthew Nine Arena, which has not been full this season. I think a lot of people take take till about January when the football season's over to transition over to basketball. It's an electric atmosphere. Yeah, it was good. It was great that last five minutes. Obviously, fans were sitting on their hands for most of it because Oregon wasn't really competitive. But there was a stretch there where it was 50-50 if Oregon State was going to get the ball past half court or if Oregon was going to yeah. end up with the ball going in for a layup. And they took advantage of those turnovers in that second half. Twelve turnovers by Oregon State. Nine of them were forced by Oregon Steals. Um and, and and you really did see, like, hey, this team, if they play, at this, if they play this way against certain teams – they're going to be really tough because of their length, their athleticism. How I mean, they have some dogs out there defensively. Ehab Amin uh, and Will Richardson uh, at, at the front there, I thought were really disruptive. I thought obviously Lewis King, uh, he's got a lot of length and was able to cause some issues. And then you had Paul White and, and Miles Norris at the back end doing a pretty good job. Norris had two steals in that second half. Paul White had two steals in the second half, just because the guys in front of them were forcing difficult passes. They were able to jump in the passing lane. So. Um, I, I agree. I think you saw a lot of positive things from about the 10-minute mark of the second half to about the three-minute, two-minute mark of the second half. Of this team is going to battle and they're going to fight. Um, you know, somebody made this comparison on the board. I don't remember the name of the poster, but I think it, it's worth mentioning. This is kind of Oregon State's Dylan Brooks, you know, Tyler Dorsey, Jordan Bell team. Obviously, nowhere near as talented. I don't think this. No one that thinks this is a Final Four team, but this is a team that is. Now pl- played two, three seasons, four seasons together. Tinkle and, and Thompson Jr. have been at Oregon State four seasons now. They're experienced. They know how to win these types of games. They, they're they're going to be competitive. So for Oregon to push them like this, I thought that was fairly impressive. Now, obviously, you never like to see a loss. And losing home games in the Pac-12 not is good. not good. And you look up, and Oregon now is going to host USC and UCLA. And you probably think, oh, USC was 
eight and or as a seven and six in non-conference play. And UCLA was so bad they had to fire their head coach. But those two teams are right now two and zero. Oh. They won both of their home games over Cal and Stanford. UCLA won both their games with about twenty points. I think USC won one game by about fifteen. The next game by eleven over Stanford on a, on Sunday night. But it's going to be tough this weekend, man. I, I think you looked at the schedule and went, okay, Oregon State at home first, UCLA and USC at home next. Maybe Oregon can piece together two, three wins. Now it's like, just just try to win a game here. Because if they if they start out 0-3, they then go to the road in the Arizona-Arizona State schools, things could start to spiral in the wrong direction really fast. My question then becomes with, okay, so I think we saw how this team can be successful with the press. But how often and how long can you do that? Yeah, right. Every game with only eight guys right now. Kenny Wooten getting back. I mean, that's really going to be what's going to dictate. Can Oregon kind of figure out their roles without Kenny Wooten on the floor and then slide him in and not in, not rock the boat too much uh, when he gets back? When does he get back? Is it is is the damage going to be so great that by the time he gets back that you're not going to have a realistic chance at making a run in Vegas. Um, we've heard that, you know, it could be the Arizona week, which is next week. Yeah, um, close it could be the following week after that. I'm, I can't remember who they play. They, they, uh, they go to Washington. Yeah, they, they, Washington. Home, yeah they, play, they play at home against Washington schools. Um, you know, maybe they, he gets back for that game. Um, but the reality is this, that obviously you – Oregon wants to finish with the best possible record. That would be 17 and one in conference play. They go 17 and one. They're wow. gonna they're gonna get it. They're gonna the get, they're gonna be an at large team, Matt. <laughs> even though they're 82 in that ranking. Yeah, they, they would be they would be an at large team if they go 17 Holy and one. Uh, You've heard it here first. Is that realistic? No, <laughs> no. no way. That's not, not realistic. Slight, not even remotely. So you know, obviously they want to win every single game, but the the bigger goal for for Oregon and and for the rest of the conference is going to be you need to finish in the top four. Obviously, if you would pick one over four, you'd pick two over three. You would you would pick uh, one over three, two you know two over four. You know, but you want that math adds up. Yes, you want the highest seed possible, and you have to get into that top four, and that's going to be the goal for Oregon. Can you find a way to get into the top four? This is such a weird conference season because we're just starting it, and like we established earlier, it's probably going to be a one-bid league. So you're going to see these teams basically play for three months with almost no incentive. Like, the outcome of these games will matter because, like you said, the seeding is important, but like they're basically going to play for three months to set up a five-day tournament, and the winner of that five-day tournament ends up being the only team that really yeah. matters in the conference. So Oregon could, could theoretically be... Like eight and ten in conference play, I don't think that's that outrageous. Dan Alman, of course, I think has one season. It was his first season where they finished with a losing conference record. But I don't think it's crazy to think this team's going to be about five hundred in Pac-12 play, maybe a little bit worse. If they get hot in, if they get hot in Vegas, though, and I still think this team has the talent. If Lewis King emerges like we think, if Kenny Wooten comes back and is able to defend the rim like we know he can, and Peyton Pritchard takes some steps, and I, I do think we've seen some stuff from Victor Bailey and Will Richardson on the perimeter. This could be a team that gets really hot and is really dangerous in Vegas. So they could theoretically not, you know, they don't even need to necessarily turn on the the Jets entirely this month. They could kind of limp through January, start playing a little bit better in February, maybe finish off that last weekend or that first weekend in March with a couple of wins, and then go into Vegas and, and get really hot and win it there. And none of this really matters. But um, you know, I don't think you want to entirely rely upon being like the seven seed going into the tournament no. because that means you're having to play extra days. That means you're going to have to play four games and four nights. Not fun. Yeah, not not ideal. And look, the reality is this: is that 
the league is not very good, but from a pure entertainment, from a pure competitive standpoint, it's anyone's game. There's mm-hmm. not one team, even after Oregon lost to OSU, uh, there's not one team that I think you can definitively say that they are head and shoulders above everybody else. There's not even a, a, a group of schools that are head and shoulders above everybody else. And in, in that small tier, they're all equal. No, there's not even that. Um, and looking at Oregon's roster, they still have a five-star. They still have five other top 100 recruits. Kenny Wooten's going to come back, and he wasn't even in that top 100-level recruit. You know, and he's one of the best. He's probably the best defender in the conference. Uh, and he's, he's Washington. Yeah, and 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 there's a he's a rim protector, one of the best rim protectors in the conference. Um, he would have helped tremendously in that Civil War game. So, you know, you get yourself healthy. You find yourself, you know, a game or two out of the top four seeds going into February, going into the middle of February, and you've got a chance to make a run uh, and get get into the, the Vegas tournament and having an opportunity to make a run there and, and win the whole thing and get into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's, I, not, it's not it's outside not, the picture. It's not. No, it really, it really isn't. I think Oregon fans should should be kind of aware of that, that, you know, you might – and it, and it has been ugly. I mean, we, we should start mention that Saturday's game, Oregon starts off 7 for 10 from the field. It's like, holy crap, they figured this out. They're playing really well offensively. They finished the half 3 for 20. Second not, half, not ideal. Not ideal. Second half not great, was probably. a little better, but 41% from the field, 31 from 3, still not great. This is a team that we, we really need to see some offensive improvement. You know, we talked about it coming into Saturday's game. I asked Pritchard. And Altman kind of about the three-point percentage, which, you know, especially over the last four non-conference games where Bull didn't play, they're shooting a, a little bit, I think, just above 30%, which is very bad. And, you know, kind of the consensus was we got to get better shots. We, you know, we got to move the ball better. We've got to, you know, better shot selection. I think there were some pretty – in that second half, there were some better looks. But yeah. overall, you look at it, you've got Peyton Pritchard. He's two for nine from three in that game. Lewis King is two for six from three in that game. Those are guys that are going to, I think, clearly be probably night in and night out the top shot takers on this team. I think sometimes maybe Victor Bailey kind of fix, figures in there, maybe Paul White figures in there. Um, but those are going to be your top two offensive weapons, and it really comes down to those guys need to start making shots at a higher clip. Yep. You know, Paul, you know, for for as good as Luke King was in a lot of aspects on Saturday, he was still six for seventeen. His shooting percentage this season is still about thirty percent from the field, which is not good. So. You need those numbers to, to kind of take a step up. And, and we were talking about the pressure stuff. I think they can still press somewhat, but you have to be careful with foul trouble because Oregon still does have four guards, four ball handlers on this team that they could technically go out there and, and get some you know pressure with right. that could pick up some fouls and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But the issue to me is the front court. And we saw this come up because Paul White had five fouls. At one point, Miles Norris was basically you know, switching offense, defense. He had four fouls. They didn't really use Francis Accor much in the second half because, frankly, he was struggling a lot offensively, You know, just finishing his 0 for 4. He missed two free throws. He had three turnovers. Um, but to me, it's almost more can they press? Can they play an up-tempo style that maybe leads to fouls up front? Is that even because, you know, when a team breaks the press, it leaves that one guy basically yeah. on an island by himself. I don't, that's, that almost is more of the concern for me because we saw it against Oregon State where Paul White fouls out, you know, Will, Miles Norris is one foul away, and then you'd have to play with Francis Socorro for an extended run. And I'm not saying that that's a losing proposition, but it certainly didn't look like a very good option um, on Saturday. So depth is certainly going to be something that 
alters and, and kind of changes what they decide to do um, strategically, schematically, et cetera, et cetera. Oregon will play UCLA at 6 o'clock on ESPN on Thursday, and then they have a Sunday game uh, at 5 o'clock uh, against USC. And I can't remember, is that game... ESPNU, I think. ESPNU, that's think, correct. Yeah. Yes, ESPNU. So two games on national television that everyone can watch. Uh, 6 o'clock and a 5 o'clock game. It'll be on ESPN the following week against Arizona. So actually some nice television uh, attention. <laughs> Let's see how they play. Uh, we'll, we'll be breaking down the game from, from the following weekend as well as giving you uh, recruiting. We'll kick back up as well next week. So we'll, we'll dive into some recruiting coverage as well for our Duck Podcast. So for Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Frame, thanks for uh, listening, and we'll talk to you soon.